great future. We're talking real money. Welcome to Talking Real Money, The Daily Show. I'm Don McDonald, and thanks for listening. I really appreciate you being there and listening to this podcast and calling the podcast. And boy, after I mentioned last week that we didn't have any calls, I was inundated. So thank you. So now I have to do a couple of calls in this episode to get caught up. Even though this is one of my on-the-road episodes, I'm actually sitting in a hotel room heading back home after looking at houses in a new community. Uh, so uh, if you want to call, you can call anytime, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. That rustling sound you hear in the background, that's my wife going through a bag <laughs> in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy some new clothes? You're not going to speak, are you? All right. So uh, anyway, give us a call. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 855-935-TALK. 855-935-8255. You can also send your questions in through the website, TalkingRealMoney.com, where you can find all kinds of great information on how you should be investing and even get some help with more complex problems than we can often solve on the show. So check it all out, TalkingRealMoney.com. And uh, let's start with, let's go to this call. Hi, Tom. Uh, Big fan of the podcast. Thank you guys for all your help. I have a question. Uh, It's a little bit of a long one. I have a family member who's selling an investment property, and uh, the offers are nowhere near asking price which goes to the saying, it's not, it's worth only what someone else is willing to pay for it. Now, here I am thinking in my own personal bubble, oh, my investments, I'll never have this problem. Uh, You know, Vanguard tells me I'm worth $9 today, I'm worth $9, but now I'm even thinking about that. What makes investments uh, worth what they're worth? What I mean is, if the offers on a property are nowhere near asking price. What is the guarantee or what are the odds that I'm going to get asking price for my investments when I go to sell them? Um, I, you know, I, I understand about bid-ask spreads and mutual funds and such, but is there a difference in, in, in terms of, of uh, offers on a piece of real estate versus uh, an investment, a stock, or ETF, or a mutual fund. Um, so, yeah, that's my question. Um, again, thank you guys for all your help. Um, I really appreciate it. Great, awesome question. This is the kind of question I love getting because it goes to the basics of investing. And It's really interesting because you're comparing real estate to the stock market and they don't compare well from the perspective you're talking about. You see, you have someone who's trying to sell a piece of investment property and they're getting a limited number of authors, uh, offers, not authors, a limited number of offers. You can see I've been driving all day and uh, they're not coming in anywhere near his price. But I wouldn't imagine he's gotten more than five or ten offers so your universe of potential buyers is very very limited Uh, it's very difficult to accurately price an asset based on a limited market so you got a lot of little regional things going on emotional things going on and it's difficult to to uh to get the price 
exactly right in that kind of environment. When we're talking about stock index products, when you're, we're talking about the total market, for example, the total global market, it's fairly priced because of the breadth of the market. There are on any, any given second of any given day, 24 hours a day, hundreds of thousands of people putting up stocks for sale and buying those stocks. So that group becomes this giant hive mind. It, it's the wisdom of crowds. You know, the, the, the little game that people play with, you know, the guess the jelly bean game. If you just guessed it, you're going to probably be way off. And often they find that the guesses are all over the place from, you know, you could have 500 jelly beans in a jar and you get guesses from 100 to 1,500. But it's so interesting that when you get a lot of guesses, when you get into the hundreds of guesses, the mean of all of those guesses tends to come very, very close to the actual number of jelly beans in the jar. It's called the wisdom of crowds. And so, you know, with a reasonable degree of certainty, when you have millions and millions or billions of transactions taking place in the stock markets every day, you can know with relative certainty that you are getting what the entire global market considers to be a relatively fair price. Now, Having said that, you can have periods when people panic universally, globally. And that's when prices suffer in short periods of time, which is why what markets are efficient over long periods of time. They are generally very efficient. They're very good at accurately pricing things, but there can be anomalies along the way. They call them black swans. And that's why it's so important that investors, particularly in volatile securities like equities or real estate, particularly individual real estate, be massively patient. That's why you often will not get the price you want on real estate because there is no one who believes it's, it's worth what you paid for it even, possibly. Uh, but those conditions could change, so patience can, can bail you out. But it's a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. 855-935-TALK is our number, 855-935-8255. Let's sneak one more call in in this short episode of the show. Hi, Don. Uh, my name is Jackie, and I have two questions about uh, the story I'm about to tell you. So my employer just put in an annual contribution to a 401A, which is an employer-funded retirement account at my work that I can't put any money into and I can't take the money out till I retire or if I leave that job. And I didn't know how to allocate the distribution because my other retirement account I hold outside of the company at Vanguard. So I sent the funds list to the 401411.com email address, and uh, Tom very kindly returned with a uh, detailed out 80 to 20 uh, equity to bond ratio distribution between those funds. And then he pointed out that there aren't any index mutual funds in this particular employer-contributed 401A account. And looking at their 403B, which they also have available, but they don't have any matching, so I don't use it. Um, and I 
was unclear based on what was available in those listings, what was a mutual fund, what was an index mutual fund, if there, what was the difference. Um, so I guess my first question is how do I tell if, it's an, if any of the funds that are listed in my employer list of available funds for these particular accounts, how do I tell if it's an index mutual fund you know, like the Vanguard Total World Stock Indexes, which is what I use for my outside broth. And then my second question about that is, if my only options are, you know, I fund a Roth at Vanguard outside my work, if I have more money that I want to invest, but my employer 403B only has non-index fund options, if I want to open another retirement account or if I want to fund more into a retirement fund outside of my work, what are my options there? When I'm looking on the Vanguard website, I know I can open different uh, non-tax advantaged accounts, but I guess, you know, I read all these articles about, you know, you need to, as much as you can, you guys say, invest until it hurts. Well, where do I do that and how do I do that if I'm not putting into an IRA or a Roth outside of my employer or not putting it into an employer account. Uh, thank you. Bye. All right. A couple of things. One, your 401A is basically found money. You may get it. You may not get it. You're not putting anything in there. I hate the fact that the funds aren't indexes, but that is up to your employer. And they probably got sold this by somebody at a brokerage firm with whom they golf regularly or go to dinner regularly or go to church or whatever. So they got sold a bill of goods. They got put in actively managed funds. Actively managed funds do not in aggregate outperform the indexes, the passive products out there. They just can't. They actually mathematically cannot, but People don't want to believe that. They always think there will be this outlier. Well, I know they don't generally, but I am so smart that I will find the one that does, which is just the, uh, the, the epitome of overconfidence. Anyway, your question is, though, over and above that. Oh, well, you had two questions. One, how do you determine whether it's an index fund or not? Generally speaking, it's going to have index in the name. But sometimes they don't have index in the name. And if they don't have index in the name, but they're, they're passive products, they're going to own a large portfolio. They're going to own hundreds or thousands of securities. So you can go to a place called Morningstar and type in the name of the fund or the ticker symbol of the fund and go to their holdings. You'll see what they own. Uh, usually we'll say right there on the front page whether it's an index or not. And another thing you can check is the fee structure. While there are ridiculously overpriced indexes, for the most part, index or passive funds through Schwab or Vanguard or Dimensional or Fidelity or whomever, the index products are going to have a lower fee. You also want to make sure there are no load, that where it says load or commission, none. Uh, a an index fund should have fees depending on the liquidity of the underlying index. An S&P 500 fund shouldn't have an expense ratio higher than about a tenth of a percent these days, maybe 12 tenths of a percent. A total market fund, a global total market fund, yeah, you probably shouldn't ever pay more than about half a percent, four tenths, somewhere in there. Could be less. 
But it, that's the way you check. Check the holdings, check the expense ratio. As for your final question about what else you can do if you, you, you can't fund an IRA, you're maxed out at work, you've got it all covered, well, that's where you start saving outside of those tax-advantaged accounts. If you still want tax advantages, then you can find those. For example, Vanguard has what are called tax-managed funds. Vanguard has them. Dimensional has them. I'm sure many others have them. Tax-managed funds are really interesting in that there's, there's, a, there's active management, but not in portfolio selection. The managers are there to make sure they give you the best tax outcome they can. So they tend to try to avoid taxable events. And when they have taxable events, then they will take some tax losses in the portfolio. They'll sell off some securities that are down to offset those losses. So they're going to they're gonna track an index, but they're going to be doing some things to try to avoid taxes. They're not going to buy and sell as often, maybe. They're going to take, take advantage of tax loss selling, things like that. So just look for, and go to Vanguard. You're already there. They have tax managed mutual funds and just put a lot of money in those. The other thing, you don't even need necessarily to worry about those because if you're in the Vanguard Total World Index, as you said you were, VTWAX, for those of you playing along at home, VTWAX has very, very low turnover. Uh, last year, over the last 12 months, its turnover has been about 9%, which means that 91% of the portfolio r- remains doesn't trade doesn't so they don't create a short-term capital gain or even a long-term capital gain the capital gain keeps deferring forward and the lovely part about capital gains is that capital gains at least right now are taxed at a much much lower tax rate than ordinary income so just keep adding more money to vtwax for your growth portion and then you know maybe something else for bonds like the vanguard total bond but if you're trying to avoid taxes you might want to look at a municipal bond funded vanguard if you're in a high tax bracket but there you have it i hope that answers your question if not you can always call back at 855-935-TALK 855-935-8255 and uh, tomorrow we'll have the weekend uh, hopefully the weekend show will be done being edited and we'll have those for you and uh, then i'll be back in my studio Uh, i'll be back in my studio tomorrow but i'll be back there for a long time after this little trip so thanks for listening i appreciate you being there please tell friends about the podcast the more the merrier here really we cannot have too many people listening and also please go to itunes particularly or our or apple podcasts and subscribe because they're the the 800 pound gorilla in the podcast industry and the more people who subscribe the higher our rankings go and the bigger our audience becomes and the more people learn how to be a real investor and stop getting ripped off i'm so tired of it i am so thanks again take care i'm don mcdonald that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, knowing can accurately, consistently predict the future. 
So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That should keep the lawyers happy.